What's going on, everybody? Halfway Paranormal here with my buddy AJ talking with the source. What is how you doing today, brother? Super happy to be here with you, my friend. This is your first show. I'm super excited. Uh, we just want to say hello to everybody on Parapost Network. We are live for the first time. My buddy Dylan's uh, podcast. Uh, I'm going to let him introduce himself. Tell him, tell you with everyone a little bit about yourself, man, and a little bit about your podcast. Well, how's everybody doing today? Uh, name's Dylan Robinson, Halfway Paranormal here. Uh, been doing the paranormal industry for about 10 plus years now. I actually been talking with my buddy here, AJ, about starting a podcast. It's been in the works for a good while now, and we finally decided to get into it and do it, and pretty excited about it. I mean help from a friend and looking looking up in the world right now and i'm very grateful about it i know that i appreciate it buddy oh anytime dude anytime dude i'm just happy that i'm in a in somewhat of a position to be able to help you you know what i mean it's like i don't have the finances but it's finally something that i can reach out and help a hand with and i and it, it feels good to be able to do that finally absolutely my goal in life you know absolutely it's a great thing Big dreamer, man, you know, so I believe in making your dreams your reality. And when time that I have, I see somebody who has a dream, I'm like, if you're truly passionate, um, let's work together. Let's make it happen because I'd rather be successful with people that I love and I trust than be successful by myself because success is not money. It's pure happiness and inner peace. And it's being with the people you love. So, you know, that's my goal is to bring everybody that I can with me that I love and trust, you know. Hey, it's all about building people up. Take them with you. Don't forget about them whenever you're making your way to the top. Amen. Amen. So, everyone, I have a video that I want to show. We're going to show a few videos. Um, it's going to be from TikTok. But these videos, some of them are going to be from doctors. Some of them are going to be just, you know, some informational videos. Take these just as information and do with what you wish. This is for an open mind. And this is not a belief to be shoved upon anybody. Your belief is your belief, which we believe in, you know, believing in everybody's, you know, beliefs. We respect all of them. So, but we just want to, you know, use this in that way. So let's uh, bring it up first. Hold on. Let me bring it up on my screen. That's set up. So just going to share my screen. Sorry about that. Okay, this first video is a doctor who basically went to hospice, hospitals, and spoke with the nurses that sat with the patients in hospice that actually witnessed the levels and symptoms of death and what happens during the process of death spiritually that goes on with every person that they've encountered through countless of studies so i'm gonna make it big and then i'll play it for you guys check this out Can you hear that or no? I don't hear no sound on it. 
Okay, give me one second. All right. Sorry about that. That's a lovely uh, podcast uh, equipment that I have. It likes to do funny things. Oh, it's all good. It's because I didn't have the sound on. Look at that. Science finally confirms what happens when we die. Ask your nurse friends about deathbed phenomena. Now, if you go into a hospice, it's less so now, but very strong then. You find that it's divided into bands. There's the nurses who are in touch with the patients. They see all the phenomena of dying and the doctors who aren't and say it doesn't occur. So there is uh, really quite a, a significant uh, difference between these two. And I have some really interesting stories mm -hmm. about this gap between medical and the nursing staff. As I say, it's less now. We did uh, three hospices in a nursing home in this country, and we did uh, three hospices in Rotterdam to get a, a cross-cultural component. It's not very cross-cultural, but it's just slightly different, a little bit further away. And we found the most fascinating things. And so it's allowed us to put together a measure of the sorts of things that you can expect. Uh, the first thing that you may get is a premonition. And that means that you know you're going to die. So before you get the diagnosis, you learn in a dream, maybe, or it suddenly comes to you that you're going to die. The Dalai Lama says all of us know two years before we're going to die that we're going to die. Uh, the next thing that happens is that um, uh, a few weeks before you die, you get deathbed visitors. Mm -hmm. Now, what's a deathbed visitor? They are uh, relatives who come to you, and they do it in a specific way. They may stand outside the room in which you're dying, or they may come into the room, and that's quite common. Um, you, of course, will talk to them, and then a number of them will sit on the bed and talk to you. And we took a hundred deathbed visions and analyzed them for content. And we found that the uh, commonest people who come are first degree relatives, mother and father are commonly seen. Uh, dead spouses are quite common. But we also, in fact, found that brothers and sisters come. We also found in our sample that spiritual beings were seen. Now, the spiritual beings behave slightly differently from the relatives. They tend to either wait outside the hostel, hospice, and they're seen through the window, or they may come to the door. The way that dying, I think, is it's like this. Deathbed visitors come, fine. Then, at some moment, you realize you're going to die. And it hits you hard. We're not coming back, guys. This isn't a getting well process. It's a dying process. And that then uh, leaves you uh, in a very difficult position because you've never come across that before. You've always had some control over something. You now don't. And so you have to start giving everything up until at the end you've lost your ego, 
you've lost that part of yourself which has differentiated you and you become what's called non-dual. That means that you do, in fact, merge with the universe. You will become universal. So that's what the data shows. Now, before you die, I just want to add one other set of phenomena, and these are called terminal lucidity. Terminal lucidity is when uh, the, the Victorians used to call it um, uh, late awakening, essentially. And what it was is that you suddenly sit up in bed, say hi to the people around you. Actually, you don't say hi, you say goodbye, because you know you're dying, and then you lie back and die. Now, that's interesting enough, but it's much more interesting than that because people who are paralyzed and haven't moved maybe for a year, been in a long-term care home, they can sit up and do it. So for that, those few moments, the central nervous system seems to work again appropriately. But more interesting than that to me is the people who have Alzheimer's disease and um, have, in fact... Uh, uh, lost their memories many years back and just been in a care home, will sit up, recognize their friends, say goodbye, sometimes meet their dead relatives and then lie back and die. So that's a real question for science because how can you do these things if one just takes the argument that the brain secretes consciousness? So the reason why I wanted to show that, um, he says a couple amazing things, as you heard. As a doctor, okay, he is talking about us actually merging back with the universe that our consciousness does. And he says, if our consciousness was secreted by the brain, there is no way that a person with Alzheimer's who has lost their memories years back, or say even dementia patients, right? And then all of a sudden sit up right before they're going to die, recognize every single person when they were a mute because they didn't know anything because they lost all their memories, right? All of a sudden they remember everybody, they say goodbye, they lay back down and they pass away. The odds of that is like, that, that means that our consciousness is definitely not secreted in our body. This is not the end. And this is just a beginning process to another journey. And it's whatever that journey may be. And it's like, it's wild. I mean, what do you think, Dylan? Well, I mean, AJ, um, I've heard a lot of stories about afterlife and stuff like that. And how you was mentioning, <clears throat> they sit up at the last moments and just recognize everybody in the room or everybody around them. Yeah. <clears throat> that's that's kind of how my mom was before she passed away. Like she had gotten sorry, to the yeah. point where, huh? No, sorry, keep going. Oh, no. Yeah, she got to the point where she couldn't remember nobody. And then right before she passed away, I remember she had set up and remembered everybody that was around at that point. And it was it was just one of them weird things because she didn't have it for years because the cancer had ate at her. And it was only for eh, maybe four or five months. I can't really quite remember, but she she did just 
forget everybody and then one day set up and just remembered everybody that was in the room and i kind of i kind of agree with what he was saying <clears throat> there's been a few times where i've thought about afterlife things and i'm and i'm it's just it's just one of those weird things you can't really tell unless it actually happens but you can believe in it you know yeah no you're absolutely right and it's crazy because when my grandmother was passing away in 2020 i actually have a video of this she was in a in a sleep and she raised her hand up in the air as if someone she was waiting for someone to grab her she was trying to grab somebody's hand so me and my aunt saw it thought it you know as a joke I would grab her hand. So in the video, I grab her hand and she jumps and wakes up and looks at me like, like with an angry look as if like, I wasn't the one who was supposed to grab her hand. Like it wasn't like you scared me and woke me up. It was like, no, you weren't supposed to grab my hand. And she was pissed about that because right. even when my dad had passed away, right before she passed away unexpectedly my father randomly passed away as you know and um it's like we didn't want to tell her because in your last moments the last thing you want to hear is your firstborn son dies you know what i mean yeah and we thought that would really affect her because she was in a very positive attitude about the death she was ready to go she sat with a priest she laid out all of her sins like she was so like happy and she's like listen don't be sad i'm ready this is great and she was telling everybody it was real weird because my grandmother was an amazing individual like very and more intelligent than she thought she was because she had a third grade um education literally dropped out of school third grade you know and had no reading or writing i mean it was that bad and um you know didn't work at all her whole life besides cleaning houses under the table so to have that kind of intelligence i just you know it's i try to always tell her how amazing she was for that but it's so fascinating because she knew that my father had passed one day she had woke up from a nap and my aunt was in the room like getting some clothes and cleaning and all of a sudden she goes and what happened to ralph and we hadn't told her yet and he was in a vegetable state in the hospital and my aunt's like, what are you talking about, Ma? Ralph's fine. He's in the rehab. No, he's not. He's dead. He just came and visited me. And we were like, uh. And then when I told her, she was like, I told you guys. She, I wasn't shocked. He came and visited me and told me. And I'm like, what? You know what I mean? Like, wow. And then if you ever, um, if you ever hear this, I watch this other video where. In, like in Christianity or Judaism, whatever you want to call it, they will say that God's name is Yahweh, right? So that's what the, the, the spelling of the Arabic and Hebrew comes out to, Yahweh. Well, so the guy explained it and said that it's not a name. It's actually a breath, meaning that he gave, a, like it says in the Bible, a breath of life. To us. So if you say Yahweh and you go, Yahweh, like that, if you think about it, when we die, we take a last breath and we make a sound that says Yahweh, like basically because we let out our air and we take our first breath as a baby being born that way, <clears throat> take our first breath in. So if you, and you, if you think about it, 
as the sounding of Yahweh, it's the sounding of taking a breath in, meaning that the life force of the Creator has entered, the consciousness of that, whatever the, this thing that we're a part of, God or whatever people call it, um, you know, it literally has said it in these sacred texts. This is what it does. And for these people, thousands of years before us, with less technology, knowledge, science, certain things like that, how would they know? You know, sorry, how would they know? You know, what's your opinion on that? Well, I mean, honestly, I don't have too much of one because that's one of them things that kind of stumps you. Like you said, I mean, you were speaking about how they say that Yahweh right before right before they die, their last their last breath kind of thing. Well, yeah. to me, I've, I've actually never heard that theory. I've, I've never heard that. Nothing, nothing even to that that hand there. But that, that kind of makes sense in a way, because if you if you look at it, how you're explaining that, it makes a lot of sense because right before they pass away, like you were speaking about the creator or what what it is comes in. And it's like, hmm, it, it just kind of blows your mind there at first, especially if you're around when they do it, because you're just you're just stumped. You're wondering what's going on. And to me. Beans is I've never heard nothing like that. That's kind of a new new news to me and it kind of makes me think a lot about it Because yeah. I mean there's there's so many theories and things about life before you pass away life after death <clears throat> and I mean there, there's been a lot of theories I've heard that have that kind of like I was like eh, No way and then there's some that I've heard where I'm like that makes a lot of sense yeah, and it, and, it, and it would make a lot of sense for some of the theories I've heard because just they're all mind blowing. Even even the ones that you're just thinking to yourself, I don't believe that, not at all. You still have that thought in your head. You're like, what if this is true? What if something like that actually does happen? Well, I'm gonna. I'll tell you something. I don't know. I told you about my near death experience, right? I believe so. Okay, for your viewers who have never heard this before, for all your friends. I was addicted to Oxycontin, then got addicted to sniffing heroin. I was addicted for many years, and I drove my life into the ground, got arrested, got in trouble. Um, never something serious, but it was always for my stupid drugs. You know, it was for hurting myself. <clears throat> and I was so always angry at them, when in reality, I wasn't seeing the clearly because of the drugs. Well, I ended up dying, overdosing, literally clinically dead, um, heart stopped 12 times. And the last time it took approximately, they said, by the time the ambulance got there, everything like that, they were working on me. By the time they, the heart stopped and they got me back breathing again, I was without oxygen for over 10 minutes. Now, scientifically, that's a impossible without brain damage impossible my father died that way like this is impossible okay so for me to one come back from that alone is something miraculous in itself and i'm very blessed for it but what happened to me was is i was remember i was messed up i grabbed a bowl of ice cream or a bowl of cereal and i walked out to the porch area that we had at my grandmother's house i sat down i was about to watch some tv eat some ice cream or some whatever, you know, cereal. And then all of a sudden I like fell asleep. It felt like, 
And then next minute I know it was like, instead of waking up in a dream, I woke up standing or floating or hovering over my body. And when I did that, I was able to see the paramedics doing CPR on me. And it was weird because any thought that I had where I wanted to be, I was in that room simultaneously at the same moment in multiple locations, like reading their thoughts over their right shoulder, anywhere I could think. And a blink of a second, I was there, but I would stay there as I would go other places. And I would simultaneously understand every aspect of the room all at once. And it was the creepiest thing ever because, like, we can't do that. That's like listening to a CD in the physical, and we can only listen to one track. But in spirit, we can listen to all 12 tracks, understand all the instruments that are being played, hearing them all individually, understanding all the lyrics individually for every song. Like, it's that intense, you know what I mean? Right. And then I got sucked up into this, what I call tube or tunnel. And it was like I was going through hyperspace in you know, like space. And as it was happening, I was getting a picture review, a life review, but it was through the eyes of other people. It wasn't a judgment. It wasn't anything along those eyes. It was just showing me my life through other people, but it wasn't just my life. It was from the beginning of creation to the end of my life. I saw everything in a different perspective from other people's points of views. And I realized that one, our consciousness was all connected and that every single one of us is one consciousness just experiencing itself individually due to the extensions it has made to come into these physical bodies, which I find amazing. But then it opened up into a magical, like most beautiful landscape. And the only way I can describe it in what we would understand is if it was like a Canadian wilderness that has never been touched with beautiful colors that were so vibrant, some colors that I've never seen before, nor have I ever been able to see anyone replicate these things. And this is something near death experience people have talked about before. And then all of a sudden I was approached by a light being that was so bright that I couldn't look into it, but I felt so much love coming off of it. But I telepathically heard a male's voice say to me, it's not your time. You're not supposed to be here. Basically, what are you doing here again? And then all of a sudden I was sucked back down the tube. And that was when the paramedics had hit me again with the paddles. And I sat up when I came back into my body, just screaming, where am I? Where am I? Like, you know, what's going on? And like, they were like, calm down, calm down. Cause they thought maybe I'd have a heart attack. Cause I was without oxygen. You know, they didn't know what was going to happen. So, and they thought it was just the drugs until I had said to them something that they were thinking and then they said it out loud to each other and their faces kind of went pale and they looked at each other and then they just looked at me and said, it's all right, buddy, don't worry. You know, it, it was just the drugs. Don't worry. Just calm down. You know, we'll get you to the hospital. And they pushed me off. And that's when I got, you know, nervous. And then I went down this paranormal route due to things happening sensitivity wise after the fact, but just for your viewers, so they know a little bit about me. That's why I got into the paranormal and got into this type of stuff. But I want to show another video right now about um, death and the uh, afterlife. So hold on one second. Let me bring it back up on the screen real quick. Yeah, no biggie. That's like, uh, real quick, I'll tell you. Like my niece, yeah. she commented on here, Samantha, and she said she's seen it firsthand 
personally and medically because she's a she works in a hospital and she's seen all kinds of wild things she's told me about as well just like what we was talking about i mean there's all kinds of crazy things out here man yeah Cuss Green Eyes, this is my first podcast ever. Thanks for doing you. I want to start my own about DV and trauma. Kells Green Eyes, contact me. My name is AJ Capasso on Facebook. I or Coventry Circle Paranormal on Twitter. And I can help you start your own podcast. I'll help you do all everything that you need to do to get started. And I'll help you get on our network if you want to do that and you are serious. So contact me and I will help you if you're serious. But um, I appreciate you so much for checking out this show. And um, obviously John's in the room. Thanks, buddy, so much for joining us. Um, but yeah, so I want to check out this new thing real quick. I mean, this not this another video. Um, where does consciousness go after death? <laughs> So what happens when we die? It's a question that humanity has wrestled with throughout history. But a new study conducted by NYU may have found some answers. Dr. Sam Parnia is the director of critical care and resuscitation research at NYU Langone School of Medicine, where he ran this study. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Parnia. Pleasure. Thank you so for having me. What would you say? What actually happens when you're clinically dead? Well, you know, when people die, essentially it's when the heart stops. So this has been going on for, as far as we know, millennia, not longer. And when the heart stops, you stop breathing and your brain shuts down. And that's how we declare people dead. And that's why we give a time of death and we give them a note. And really, to be honest with you, until about 50 years ago, that was the point of death. So people become lifeless, motionless, the brain shuts down. But now through advances in medicine, we can actually bring people back to life, even after they've gone beyond that threshold of death um, and study what happens to them. And one of the interesting things, of course, is that the brain completely shuts down, as I said. But what's fascinating is that the cells inside the body, and particularly the cells inside the brain, do not suddenly become annihilated. They go through a process of decay that can take a few hours, which is why we can actually medically bring people back to life after they have technically gone beyond that threshold of death for tens of minutes, if not hours of time afterwards. And that, of course, raises many interesting questions about what happens when we die. So tell me more about this study. How did you conduct it? And tell me about you know, how you came about reaching your findings, your conclusion. No, I'm, a, I'm an intensive care doctor. So my job is to essentially save people's lives and prevent them from dying. But unfortunately, people do die and we try to revive them. What we have found is that over the last few decades, many millions of people have now come back. And many of them have reported, actually, anecdotally, that they've been able to see and hear things going on, even though from our perspective, they should have been dead and their brain should not be functioning at all. And so we became intrigued to study this, one, because it was fascinating, and two, because we try to revive people without brain damage and to ensure they don't have any disorders of consciousness, so not becoming like brain damaged or having a vegetative state. At any rate, so this particular study is the largest study ever carried out in the world. It was done in 15 medical centers across the US and in Europe. And we studied more than 2,000 people who'd gone through this cardiac arrest or process of death and we did not expect people to have any consciousness or, or awareness, mm -hmm. but intriguingly, up to 40% of people came back and had had a perception of being aware of what was happening to them, even though they had technically gone beyond the threshold of death. Why do you think that is? Well, there's a lot to it. Um, I should also add that among that group, 10% had a very deep, profound mystical experience that was very true to them. 
But interestingly, 2% actually had full awareness, could describe all the events that were going on that were validated. So of course, the question is, why does that happen? And we don't have the answers because to our scientific model, when people have died, there should be no more conscious awareness going on. Uh, but it sounds like maybe consciousness is able to continue. And by that, I don't mean that they're awake, but that entity that makes us who we are, makes Sam who he is, makes Rina who she is, the self, the mind seems to continue and doesn't become annihilated after a person has gone through their process of death. Were there any of the people that you studied that completely lost all consciousness? Well, that's what I was trying to explain. Yeah. Everybody loses consciousness immediately as soon as the heart stops. It's not like they're awake and watching us. Well, you mentioned that there were some people who remembered there was some sort of mystical experience that they were going right. through. Were there some people who said, nope, didn't feel anything, didn't? So some people don't have any recollections. Mm -hmm. What we don't know is whether they had experiences and forgot it afterwards, and that may be what's happening. Because, of course, we forget a lot of things. And most of the people who are brought back have issues to do with their treatments. We give them sedative drugs, which wipes out their memories. So that's part of what we're studying now is, does everybody have this experience? And how long does mind and consciousness continue in some format, even though we've gone beyond the threshold of death? Do you have some sort of conclusion as to how far the mind and consciousness goes? Again, from what we can determine, which yeah. is actually uh, fascinating, and it raises questions about our whole science, about what yeah. happens when we die, is that it appears that even though people have gone beyond that threshold of death and their brain has shut down, that entity that we call consciousness, the mind, the psyche, whatever you want to call it, does not seem to become annihilated. From the evidence we have, that at least tens of minutes, if not hours of time afterwards, mm -hmm. how long beyond that, we don't know at this point. Have the, for the folks who have lost consciousness and come back, have there been any long-term effects afterwards? Well, those people who have these very deep, profound, mystical experiences, mm -hmm. often they describe a, a sensation of being very peaceful, seeing a bright, warm, welcoming light, sometimes deceased relatives. And intriguingly, some of them describe a sensation of uh, a being that they describe as being perfect and full of light and love and compassion. Those who have that experience are often very positively transformed for the rest of their lives. It's very profound. Really? It's real to them. They become less afraid of death. They lose their fear of death completely. They engage in altruism. They're more uh, helpful to people. They engage more with family. It completely changes them. So there's something very profound about this experience that they have. We often hear people say, I saw the light, some sort of light. Why do you think it is that some people see that and some people don't? Well, so there are two possibilities. One is that, as you said, only some people see it. And we think that you know, it might be 10%. But the alternative is that everyone sees it. But unfortunately, because of the medical treatments that they get afterwards in the intensive care unit by doctors such as myself to save their brain, um, they forget it. And one of our new studies is trying to actually decipher whether people have had it, but just forgotten about it. Mm. And so I think there is some evidence that more people are having it, but unfortunately, they just forget it afterwards. It's a fascinating study and a fascinating look into death and those final moments as well and returning back. Dr. Samparnia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Us. Pleasure to be yeah. here. So what happens? It's a question that. All right. So tell me, man, after what I just explained to you, and as you know, from my near death experience, the stuff he just said, did that not resonate to exactly my 2% of the population that has died and had a mystical experience? Because I positively completely transformed my life and complete and sober now for so long. It's ridiculous. And I never thought I would escape that grips. And you know what I mean? And now my focus is positivity and helping others. And, you know, but 
one thing that has got construed on my show is that people see the show and then they don't understand what I say. Yes, I've been positively transformed, but there's two things in life that get me back to my old self. And that is if you hurt my friends that I truly love or my family who I truly love are the only two things that get me out of character and get me back into my old self. And that's something that I'm working on still to learn how to overcome that because I don't want to live like that, you know, but it's also better to be a dangerous man that never has to use it than be a good man that doesn't know how to use it. You know what I mean? If that kind of makes sense to anybody. So I, uh, I, I found this very fascinating. I thought it was amazing to see the percentage. What did you think, Dylan? Well, <clears throat> I mean, first off, I'm glad you're still here with us. Congrats on being the sober, and let's keep you going down that path. Um, Thank you, brother. Second off, I agree with all of it. I mean, they're, like you said, it sounded exactly like your story. Like It sounded like that 2% right there. And it makes sense now because I've also heard stories about how some people see the light, some people don't. And with him explaining how after these surgeries to save their brain and everything else, they forget about it. Now it makes me wonder if that percentage from 10% shoots up even higher. They just can't remember. So with that whole near death and life after death and things that you'll see, I mean, I think it's just an absolute crazy thing. I've often wondered about it. It's kind of like, it's one of them things where you sit and you ponder on 90% of your life while you're still here because you're always wondering what's going to happen to me whenever I pass away or what's going to happen if I get near that near-death experience and I see these things. What am I going to see? Different things like that because you, you never know. You can't tell there's only one person that can, and that's the man upstairs. And, I mean, yeah. it, it's just one of them crazy things because – when you have the near-death experiences and such, there's, there's a lot of people, 50% of people, like say it was in your case, drugs or something, <clears throat> they flop their life around, completely flopping around, and then you have some that just go on about it. Like I know a person personally that has had about seven or eight times that he's died on the table from overdosing, and he still does the same thing, which sucks because yeah. he's a very close person to me but yeah. i mean 90 percent of them it feels like can change around and then you got that 10 percent that can't it just it just varies on the scale of percentage can i tell you why drug addicts have a hard time after they overdose absolutely it's because there, dude, it took me 12 times to remember that experience because of the drugs remember what he said the drugs will stop the consciousness sometimes remembering, but it doesn't mean that we didn't have that experience. And I remember when I told you that being, it was like, he was like, dude, you've been here before. You're not supposed to be here. Go home, like go back. You know what I mean? So it's like, I believe that I left my body because I was clinically dead heart stop every single time. I had the same exact thing happen. It's just, I had an experience that I remembered. You know, so it's like, who's to say that I didn't leave my body all those 12 times, go to the exact same thing, have the exact, you know, maybe different experiences, but the same similar, gen, you know, general consumption of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I find that absolutely amazing. Um, thank you so much, um, Kels. I really appreciate that. 
Susan, I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. I will uh, be contacting you soon. Um, I just finally got off of work for the week, so I will be contacting you soon. Um, and Kells Green said, uh, am I going to go up or down? That's what I ponder. Well, let me tell you something, Kells. From my research that I do with spirit communication, I've been doing it for, you know, 10 years now. And um, what I found out through the spirit box from spirit is that there is no hell. The hell that they talk about is the hell that we put ourselves in as spirits by not crossing over. And that right there is what causes the spiritual being or the energy of the soul to drop its vibration and frequency. And what when that happens to us in the physical body, we become depressed and we get stuck in that depression until we can mentally become aware of our thoughts and somehow take them over and take back control of them to make that positive change in ourselves. And that's exactly what spirit said through multiple spirit box sessions that I had to piece together to get my answer. But it's wild that they said that because it makes per perfect sense because the hell part of the Bible was actually not put into the Bible until the second temple period. If you look farther back, instead of looking in the Bible, look at other ancient texts from Sumerians, who are the most ancient people on earth, to what they say, which is so far out, but it makes complete sense because science has proved everything that the Sumerians have said. And those were written in stone, not on paper by man. So remember that. It was written in stone by man, but <laughs> written in stone is more solid than written in paper where it can be translated and redone over and over like the Bible has been. So that's why I'm trying to say there's so much to the afterlife that is not negative, but it's so perceived as negative due to our upbringing and our societal, you know, way we look at things but what's what's your opinion on that man i mean to me what i've always heard was that there was always a heaven and a hell and what i always heard was that hell was a place you went uh if you sinned your whole life never asked for forgiveness never was saved nothing like that you went down there and I always heard stories of burning fires harder than you could ever imagine mm -hmm. and just living in that you're whole eternity like never non-stopping and then i always heard about heaven being the most beautiful place you could ever think of vibrant lights oh, colors yeah. things that you could never imagine but with you saying that speaking the way you just did about that 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 kind of makes me wonder in a way because any other time when somebody would mention something about there not being no hell i disagree with them but you also brought up the fact that it had to do with the bible and you was you were stating the facts that has to do with it, how it was written in stone and things like you said, and then all the spirits that come to you and was telling you about it. And one of the reasons that we can actually believe them is because, well, they're spirits. They're actually living that life. Yeah. So they know they know what it's like, they know what it is, and it, it's just it's a it's a crazy, crazy thing. It is because you got you got the spirits telling you about it um they're telling you well you it's not what they said they, they said that? this 
He said, really think about what you're reading because of the fact that, um, think about it, a God that is loving and caring in one part of a book, but then is also jealous and wrathful towards you, like a girlfriend, that's a human construct. Or construct. That's something they put in 2,000 years ago to control the population of the people because faith was very big in those times, like how it still is in the East. And, you know, they, in the East, they are very stuck into the, their religion, especially Islam. They're very traditional, and I respect them so much because I've studied that religion. Very respectful and very traditional religion. But the problem with it is, is that it's the way the texts are translated and the way that they interpret it that causes these type of things to get taken out of context. And also, man has touched these things and has altered these things. And it's like, it's not the book from 2,000 years ago. It's the book that was just printed yesterday down the street at the bookstore. You get what I'm saying? So, you know, and it's been translated so many times and there's so many different copies of the Bible, versions of the Bible. So, you know, like King James version, what people don't know, King James, right before he took out the 14 books of the Bible that is missing, that you can find in older um, aged Bibles, like 1500 Bibles, 1500 year old Bibles, um, or in the 1500s Bibles, I'm saying. And, um, King James actually wrote a book on demonology right before he even constructed the Bible together and re, you know, did it for the people. But if you think about it as a king, what does he want from his people? He wants the same thing a government would want. He wants you to be in line. And he wants you to fear something so that you won't rebel. And then it's told in the Bible, you have to give 10% of what you earn to God. Why the hell would God want money? Because money is a material object, and that's not the reason why we're here. We're here not for material reasons, because we can't leave with those material. So why would God want money from us? So you know what their excuse is? It's not about the money. It's about the discipline and respect that you're worshiping God. And I said, God doesn't care about that. God cares that you're treating others the right way. That's the only thing that I was told on that other side that was cared during my whole life review because he showed me my life through others' eyes. He didn't show it to me through his. He didn't say, I'm going to damn you because you you pushed that kid down the stairs or you called that girl fat when you were in elementary school and you were a bully. You know what I'm saying? Or you know what I mean? Or, or like you killed somebody. It, they, like it's really hard for people to understand that there's no, there's not a hell place, but there is a judgment where they have to answer for their things, but it's not a judgment that we think of like, oh, you're standing in front of a judge like here on earth. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely. Uh, I understand that. That's where the misconstrued comes in. And that's what I can't stand at being a Christian. And we walk this fine line as Christians where it's like a fence. One side of the fence, this is what my friend said. One side of the fence, the demon and Satan is on. One side of the fence, God and his angels and I'm on. But most Christians walk on the fence. And you know what the devil says? Well, that's good because I'm the one who made that fence. You know what I'm saying? So think about that.
<clears throat> Let me ask you something. said that to me on a podcast the other day, and I thought that was very profound. So right. I was like, wow, you know. So unfortunately, I have walked away personally from Christianity because of <clears throat> things that I studied during ancient texts, and my, you know, my mind is opened up. But in your opinion, I know that you're you're a Christian as well. You believe in you know God like how I do in the Bible and stuff. What do you think about hearing different aspects of this? in a different way does it open your mind up or does it close you off and say oh no i can't think that way what do you well i'll be honest with you with me i was raised up one way and we we always went to an apostolic pentecostal church that we had right down the street from my house and uh they always taught us about god and everything else when i hear these theories some of some of these theories, I've, I've never really had too many open my eyes. Most of them, I'm just kind of like shrug it off, and I'm like, nah, no, nah, I don't, I don't believe any of that, yeah. nothing like that. And then I've heard a couple theories where it's just kind of like, you know, that could make sense in a way, depending on how you put it. Um, with me, how I was always, always thought, how I always thought about things is, you're born, you live, you die. Um, what I was taught was you get baptized, you get saved in the name of Jesus, yep. and you you live the right way. You walk that path of God, and you do right by him. And if you, add, if you sin or anything like that, you always ask for forgiveness. And if you're truly sincere, uh, sincere about it, you will be forgiven, and you just live your, live your life by God. But here's the thing. I'm sure you feel the same way I do. You know, you're supposed to live your life by God. Um, you're supposed to do everything right by him. And I understand that, but yeah. let me, let me, sh let me shoot something out for you and you tell me what you think. Yeah. So we're supposed to live our life by God. We're supposed to get away from all these negative people, all these people that curse, all these people that commit sins, everything like that. To me, that seems like it's almost impossible to get away from people like that. Because when, when you're out in public, you go to a grocery store, you're almost 90% guaranteed going to hear people cursing, committing crimes, doing different things. If you go, if you just walk out of your house, it's possible that you're going to hear people committing crimes or see crimes or be around people. And I mean, I get the part where you can clear your life out and you can get rid of the negative people that you have in your life personally. But, what about all the other ones around you? Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And and that's what makes this life so hard. And that's why people believe that, yes, this life is hell. And what Spirit said and what made sense on the other side when I passed away, this knowledge that came with this life review was, um, it's, it's actually wild. So we make, I guess, according to them, a soul plan and a soul journey before we come into the body of the baby or the fetus, whatever you want to call it. Okay. Well, that plan, you sit down with your guardian angels and your guides, and they are instructed to push you in the direction of these plans. Because when you go into your body, as you know, our brains are swiped. We don't have any memory of being that spiritual being. We just only know the physical. And the farther from birth we get away from it, the farther we get away from knowing who our true selves are until we discover it later in life, if we ever do. Um, 
you know, most people don't. But the thing they said was the reason why we incarnate here is because you have to think of it like this. A doctor who goes to school for eight years studying books about how to become a surgeon is not ready to become a surgeon. He could read all the books in the world, but until he experiences that, he's not going to have that experience to really fully understand. So they said the reason why we come back and choose certain paths, whether to be it's a caretaker or whether it's to be someone who actually is disabled, it's actually a choice that we make to have these certain circumstances happen in our life and have people come into our life that is part of our soul plan. And I find that so fascinating when they said that to me and when I found this when I was near, in near death, because it's like, Life isn't about like, oh my gosh, I have to like sit here and worry about so much. Yes, we do because we have to worry about money. It's But that's the human construct of things. The reason why we're really here is to experience the negative. And the reason why is, like I said, a doctor, until he gets that hands-on experience, before he can even do surgery, he has to have clinical hours done, all this stuff, before he can even touch a real human body. So he can't do that without the hands-on. So in the spirit world, we can read all about and understand all about having cancer, about dealing with all the negative crap we deal with here. But as souls, we get sick and tired of just living positive all the time. We want to experience new things to grow and to learn. So we get sent to this crap hole <laughs> of negativity and we experience the negative that we wanted. And it's like, why would I do that? You know what I mean? Being yep. here, I'm thinking to myself, like, that's the dumbest shit I've ever heard. But yep. in a soul, you know, and not thinking about it in a human construct, thinking about it in a spiritual construct, it makes so much sense because you're right. If you were at a buffet and you were only given the things that you liked, you wouldn't eat that every single day forever because you'd get sick of the food after a while, wouldn't you? So you'd want to mix up your food. So it's the same kind of concept they said. And I found that so fascinating. But anyway, let me bring up this next video. And uh, and then I'm going to bring up a Billy Carson video about the Sumerian text that talks about the Noah Ark story. But it was in the Sumerian text. And they have actually taken the text and stolen that story from the Sumerians and turned it into this. And they actually have the Ark of the Ark, they have the Ark's dimensions written on stone, but it's not the way that the Bible constructed it as an Ark, like a boat. It was yeah. constructed like a circle. It's really fascinating to hear. So let me see if I can find that after, but let's listen to one more science one real quick. Let's see what this one is right here. I haven't, um, actually, I've listened to this one. Hold on. If I can get to it. Come on, computer. Well, before you click on it there, I'll tell you something real quick. Yeah, tell me. Uh how we was talking about that. I'll I'll tell you how we was talking about crap just coming into this crap hole and stuff. Yeah. Well, this wasn't something I was taught. This was something I taught myself. So back whenever my parents died. Uh, I didn't want to <clears throat> be one of them people that mourned and was sad about it all the time and everything like that. So I started thinking of things and what I come to a conclusion of 
was I've had a rough life. I have, but what gets me through it is I, I can't mourn on myself because how I think is there's always somebody out there that has it worse than I do, whether it's just a little bit or a lot. And I'm sitting and I sit here and I'm like, Hey, they haven't worked. There's people out there that have it worse than I do. I'm just thankful that I'm, that I'm not one of those people. I do have it bad, but you know, and then what gets me through it every day is I don't, I don't live my life always worrying. What I do is I'll start my day. And what I do is I, I make it a point to at least make one person laugh every day. And usually I can get quite a big bit of people to do that because it makes me happy. It makes them happy. I'm not worrying about anything negative. I'm just enjoying life. Yep. Amen to that, brother. Absolutely. Amen to that. That's exactly what I do, man. I mean, I literally do jokes with my friend and we make people laugh. At first, we make them feel uncomfortable because it's a stereotypical kind of joke because my friend's Filipino, but he looks Chinese. So I'll come up and act like I'm mad at him and be like, and I'll look at the customer and be like, can you believe these Chinese people? And then he'll turn and look at me and be like, you in my store, white boy? I eat your cat and my dog. I don't play around. Don't you mess with me. And we go back and forth <laughs> acting like we're really fighting. And the people get so uncomfortable at first. It's only white people do they get uncomfortable. It's so funny. And then all of a sudden, we just stop. We look at them. And we just burst out laughing. And they had totally right. forgot when they walked in that he spoke to them in English. <laughs> you know? So it's so funny. And then they're like, oh, my God, thank you so much for making me laugh. I was having such a bad day. And they open up and they just feel so much better. And it's so sad to see that people are scared to laugh about things. Absolutely. You know? dude. It's, it's, it's beyond crazy. But whenever you get that one person during the day that's like, hey, I needed that or, hey, that helped me out so much. That right there makes your entire day so much yeah. better. Like you can go the rest of your day with a smile on your face that will not disappear till you go to sleep. Amen. All right. Well, let's listen to this one. Death part one. What happens at death after death part one? Did you know? Did you know that when we die, our souls undergo a life review that lasts for 21 earth days? As our spirits depart our earthly bodies, we instinctively gravitate toward a brilliant light, the source of the reincarnation cycle. We then have a full lifetime review. Following this review, which evaluates our accumulated karma, we face a choice. Either re-enter the cycle of reincarnation or reconnect to the ultimate source and consciousness of the Creator. Then, upon choosing to incarnate again, we choose our life paths and make soul contracts with people we will meet in the physical realm, such as our parents, family and friends. Contrary to the conventional notions of heaven and hell held by some religious institutions, Karma is the only power that determines our paths. And on this path, we have spirit guides that are with us who are also known as guardian angels. Our actions, both good and bad, are meticulously recorded in what quantum theorists and spiritual mediums refer to as the Akashic Records, akin to the Christian concept of the Book of Life. Throughout our lives, we are accompanied by at least four spirit guides who provide guidance and support. These guides become our welcoming party upon our passing. This explains why many people who have near-death experiences report seeing familiar faces and feeling comforted. Once the spirit separates from the physical body, the silver cord is severed and one is drawn toward the radiant light. 
accompanied by a guardian angel or spirit guide, often a friend or relative. This light serves as the energy source leading to the life review and reincarnation cycles presided over by the Lords of Cycles. These beings, not judges but reviewers, work under the Creator's laws and guidance. In this reality, Earth functions as a school where we acquire knowledge about emotions and limitations, serving as data collectors. Advancement requires learning from our mistakes, and failure to do so results in forced reincarnation in similar or lower states. It is said by many ancient Taoists that when you die and see the bright light, most are drawn and head towards it. However, most do not look behind them. Behind them is the... Did you know that okay, when we so die... Our... Right there, I'm going to do start there, and then hold on one second. I'm going to play part two real quick because it's not finished. There's a part two, so... Hold on one second. Let me just get it up. But so far, what do you think of that, Dylan? <clears throat> well, I think it's insane, dude. I really, I really do. Like, there's, there's just so many theories out there, and yeah. he, he made some good points in that video. He did. You know, it's funny because this is the exact same thing that I was just talking about. That spirit set. And it was through multiple spirit box private sessions that I do in my home when me and my friend Jonathan will even do experiments where he lives in Colorado, I live in Connecticut, and we'll do StreamYard sessions. And we'll he'll do a spirit box session on his end, ask 10 questions. I'll ask the same 10 questions, and then we'll see if we get the same answers. And we do. And in these particular things and instances with these type of, you know, um, answers, this is the stuff we're getting. This is what they're telling us. And it's wild. I mean, we have to, like I said, we have to piece it together. Um, but it's like, it's crazy, isn't it? It is. And I mean, <clears throat> with me, with all my investigations I've ever done, I've never had the spirits actually talk to me about their their life after death yet. But I've also never brought it up to them. But I'm sure if I would ever bring it up to them, that they would begin to throw me some information about what it's like and what they go through and it, it's just it's one of them crazy things like they they can tell you so much and honestly a majority of the time you have to kind of believe it because they're there we're not you know no and you're absolutely right and what they're about to say now is crazy because they talk about the reincarnation cycle and Spirit said to us that we have, re like me personally, they said I reincarnated 28 times. And then I had a medium connect with my guides who we connected with and said the exact same thing. And she didn't know about the sessions. So I'm finding this by synchronicity and through multiple answers coming at the same time that these things I think are actually true. So let me play this next part of this video and we'll keep going with this and, and see how it goes because this is really interesting is said by many ancient taoists that when you die and see the bright light most are drawn and head towards it however most do not look behind them behind them is the universe and you can choose to go there instead of the light and that will return you either back to your current life or back to the creator and source of the universe dolores cannon a renowned hypnotherapist specializing in past life regression spent nearly half a century uncovering the intricacies of death and reincarnation through her clients' experiences. 
These clients, who had experienced and regressed to their lost memories of death rather than near death, shared valuable insights into the afterlife and the ongoing cycle of reincarnation. The ultimate goal of reality is to manipulate energy, gain full awareness of Christ consciousness and resolve all karmic debts. According to Canon's findings, there are three primary destinations in the afterlife, each determined by one's vibrational frequency. The lower astral realm is inhabited by souls deeply rooted in negativity, often unable to move beyond the third dimensional earthly life. This includes murderers, addicts, and those diagnosed with psychosis. Many, when they die, remain unaware of their death and seek to re-enter living bodies, unable to escape their destructive mindset in the lower astral realm. They seek the negative sensations they had in their life and are lost and stuck. Eventually, they become disinterested of not reaving the physical sensations and head back to the reincarnation cycles to pay their karmic debts and learn life once more from the beginning. The middle astral realm resembles the concept of heaven described is said by many. Now, so that right there is just totally wild in my, my um, <coughs> opinion. What did you think, dude? I agree because he's speaking of these three, three places and I'm actually intrigued to hear about the other two. He's speaking about this first one right here saying that they're stuck in their old ways even after they died they're stuck down there or wherever they are with that negative mindset with the same thoughts they had when they was here and that kind of blows my mind because what i always thought it was was once you passed away like and i never heard too much about hell what your mindset would be down there but i didn't i didn't think it would be you had that exact same mindset you had when you was up here but now that makes sense for people like me and you and other investigators while we're out investigating we find these negative spirits and then some of them are like hey can you please help us now now it makes a lot of sense whenever they're asking for help even though they're negative they're they're saying hey can you help us move on help us do this do that and that's telling us hey they're kind of scared they don't want to live with that mindset still like they had when they was here and now it makes a lot more sense to me yeah Dude, telling you, let's finish this last one right here and finish this up because it's really interesting. The middle, the middle astral realm resembles the concept of heaven, described as a beautiful and vibrant place where one can shape their reality based on their desires. The surroundings are filled with various vivid colors, breathtaking landscapes, and the opportunity to reunite with loved ones. This realm is perfect and indescribable. However, some souls eventually seek more profound experiences and move on to an upper stage of reality. The souls that choose to move on, progress to the upper stage of reality, connect to libraries of the Akashic records within the source. These libraries contain rooms where souls can observe and study various aspects of reality and the universe, informing their choices for future incarnations. An example would be like watching a film or series. It is entertaining, but it would be more entertaining to actually live and experience it. The next step involves interaction with the Elders of Cycles, a council that advises you on your lives in the universe, but does not dictate the paths you choose. After physical bodily death, a comprehensive life review occurs, 
Every action, word, and interaction is presented objectively from the perspective of those you affected. For instance, if you touched someone in a good way, you will experience what that person felt. And on the other hand, if you hurt someone, you will experience what they felt. This process aligns with the teachings of the Emerald Tablets by Thoth the Atlantean Priest King, who referenced insights on the Elders of Cycles. Mentioning these beings are neither alive or dead, and are life reviewers responsible for overseeing the universe's cycles, emphasizing the everlasting nature of the universe's laws and consciousness. Now, that's what I'm talking about right there. So this right here, man, what did you think about that, that right there? Well, I thought it was crazy because he, he, he mentioned right there in the part where that second place is a place you can kind of design with your mind. You can design what you want to do, what you want to, what you want to be, where you want to be, <clears throat> basically control it. Like how some people say they have the ability to control their dreams. I've never had that, but that's kind of what that is, is you can control what you're doing what, while you're there in that middle mind middle place and that that's just insane because i i mean i've heard about the first place in a way but this this section here i've never heard nothing like that so being able to go wherever you want do whatever you want to do in that realm right there is insane to me because that's probably bringing it back to the paranormal wise that's probably some of their spirits where they they just seem so happy about where they're at and what they're doing is because they're in that mindset right there. They're in that realm that he's talking about in that video. Yeah, you're absolutely right, man. And it's so funny because talking about those beings that are, are just reviewers and stuff and how they mentioned the book of Thoth, the book of Thoth is an Egyptian ancient text. So for the ancient text of Egyptians to know this, and then for me to get this on a spirit box, connecting with my guides it's such a weird thing to read and then witness it happen and then actually say it you know what i mean yeah so but this is dolores cannon she was like they said a hypnotherapist who did past life regression with thousands of clients and she literally had them regress and literally map out what happens in the afterlife, what the afterlife is like, all this type of stuff. And this one right here is Dolores Cannon on Life After Death. She recently passed away, unfortunately. But this lady found out so much information in her studies and she shared it with the world. And I really encourage people to check out her content that's on the internet. Um, her teachings are absolutely scientifically based and absolutely amazing. It really is. Okay, when the person goes through the death experience and they're dying, they said the first thing the bot they feel very. Oops, sorry. Then the next instant, they're standing by the bed, looking down at the body. It's that quick. The the, uh, they say it's just like getting up from one chair and sitting down in another chair. You just slide right out of the body. So they are standing next to the bed, looking down at the body, and they'll say, gee, I didn't know I looked that bad. <laughs> and believe me, the last thing they'd want to do is go back into that body. 
usually it's sick or it's diseased and there's no hope of it ever getting well, they don't want to go back to it. Because the next thing that comes into their mind is, hey, I'm out of there. I'm free. I can go anywhere I want. I can do anything I want. So that's what they want to do. They want to go on. They want to go home, really. It's the people who are left behind are the ones who are grieve about it. They want them to stay with them. But do you really want them to be back in a body like that, that most of the time there's no hope for them? It's better to realize to let them go, because when you hold on to it, you're being selfish. It's just for yourself. I don't want, I want to, I'm going to miss them. I want them to be with me. I don't know what I'll do without you, that kind of thing. And it's a selfish thing because really the parts I'm going to go through is you make a contract when you come in. And in this contract, you also make an exit plan. So all of this is planned before you ever come into the life. So the person is ready to go on. They have completed their mission. They have completed everything they're supposed to do. They don't know this consciously, but they, it is part of a plan. So the person who is grieving doesn't understand that. It's time for them to go. They are going back home. And you have to continue with your life as part of your plan and your contract. Anyway, the first thing they want to they say is, oh boy, I'm out of here. I'm going to get to leave. I can go home. And they, I found you are never alone. This is one of the greatest fears people have. They think when they die, they're going to be alone, going into the great unknown. That's not what happens. You are never alone. You're never alone when you're alive either, but you don't realize that. Because when you come into a lifetime, you have a guardian angel, if you want to call it that, a guardian angel or a guide, that is assigned to you specifically. They have to be with you your entire lifetime. They have to take care of you. They have to be there for you. And they love to help you, but they can't interfere. They can only help if you ask for help. And if you do, boy, do they take over. But sometimes it can be a deceased relative that is assigned to you to be your guardian angel. But you do have one. And if your life gets a little complicated, you may have more than one. You can have as many as four, all taking care of different things. And if your life takes a sudden turn in a different direction, sometimes these guides will change places and another one will come in that has more expertise in your field that you're going into. So you always have somebody there. So whenever you actually die in the body, Someone, I call them the greeters. Someone will come to be, meet you and take you where you're supposed to go. Now, all of you have probably been with somebody dying in a hospital and they see unseen people around the bed. Have you ever had that happen? Usually it's deceased relatives. They see them standing around the bed. This is very real. The doctors and the nurses try to say, well, it's just the drugs or the oxygen deprivation because they're, they're dying. Oh, it's very real. And I've had other nurses say it happens a lot, that they will see people there, and you notice they're always very happy. So and so is really they know they're going to go with them, husband, relative, or whatever it is. So 
Now, what I wanted to say on this is that she is so right on that study and what she's found out from the people through these regressions. Because, like I said about my grandmother, like, she knew that her brother who had passed away, her twin brother, was there with her in the room. And we, she said it. And she said he's standing right there, which is so crazy because, like she said, it happens all the time. So for it to be the drugs, and my grandmother was on, you know, she had cancer. She was on fentanyl. She was on volume. She was on everything known to man to literally make her out of her mind. But for her to be that lucid to know, you know, that my dad died without her being told because he visited and then to see her stepbrother. It makes a lot of sense of all these past life regressions from NDEs that this lady studied, that she found all these answers uh -huh. and mapped it all together through years of study. So what do you think, brother? Well, the first part she was mentioning about, um, oh, what was it she mentioned at first? I know she mentioned the part about being alone. Oh. The part about never wanting your love, like when they pass away, you want them to come back. Well, she's absolutely right because say someone has cancer or some kind of disease that's going to kill them eventually if they would come back. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want them back. I get that. You do. But you don't, you don't really want them to come back and live in that body and suffer and just moan and groan because they're just so miserable you might want them with you that way you have them in your presence and they're with you there and not just in spirit but you don't want somebody to come back be in a body where they're they're just so sick that they can't stand it and i felt the same way about my mom whenever she had cancer and stuff and she passed away i was like oh, i want her back and then i was like you know i, I don't want her to be here and have to deal with the life problems that we got and be in the body that she had. And then she mentioned, she mentioned the, uh, well, what was it? Being alone. And then what was the other part that I'd mentioned a second ago? About how you didn't want them to, uh, suffer and stuff like that. No, the, uh, the second part she brought up. Oh, about oh, seeing, okay, about seeing the people, Mm -hmm. Which now when my my dad he off this self and my mom he he'd always come to this to the stairs where we had stairs that went down into the bottom section of the house <clears throat> every day he'd come to them sets of stairs and he'd stand right there yeah. and he'd talk to my mom or something if he didn't want to come down the stairs well when he died he was still he was still laying waiting on the corner and everybody else to get here mm. and. uh and my mom turns and looks at me because I went down there to come for her, be with her. She turns and looks at me and says, do you see, do you see that? And I said, what's that mom? She said, your dad's standing there at the top of the stairs. Unfortunately, I didn't see it, but my niece seen it and she seen it. And, uh, it was crazy. He, I guess he was standing there at the stairs and he was just watching over them, watching over all of us there after he passed away and that that's another thing right there is just 
I mean, you're, you can, you can see things a hundred percent. Like how she mentioned the doctors will say, Oh, it's just the drugs. It's just the drugs or whatever they're on. No. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of it might be once in a while, but 90% of the time it's not, it's actually true. Yeah, they might be out of their mind or something on drugs and stuff, but they're what they're seeing there is actually what they're seeing because yeah. like she said, you're never alone. No matter what, you're never alone. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, it's absolutely crazy. And it's funny because, you know, as I said before, like I don't practice Christianity. Like I did, you know, like I was very serious into Christianity and it hurt me. Uh, more of the people hurt me like made me sad and disgusted you know that were in the churches due to their like not loving attitude that you would think that we should have being you know in that type of spirituality you know what i mean absolutely um, but there was a lot of judgment and uh it made made it very hard for me to uh after a while after i found started reading other things and started realizing and I mean, I was around people who were so serious that, the, you know, it was their way or no way. Like, you know what I mean? And um, I think that's a wrong approach to that religion. And I feel like we've come a little off the path from that. I believe still, though, in those texts, in the sacred texts, every single major religion, every single ancient text, they all have meaning. They all have knowledge. And I believe they're all connected. They're all part of something we need to know. So I'm not saying ever disclude something because you don't believe in it. I'm saying if you don't believe in it there and you don't want to study it, there's a reason you don't want to, and that's the best reason to dive into it, figure it out. To give it a shot so that you can respect other beliefs and understand other cultures around the world how we became how we are absolutely that's like with I'll, I'll tell you how you were speaking of they have their certain ways they want you to live by and if you don't do it then you're just you're just a sinner in their eyes type thing so to me i've found that christians not all of them but a lot of christians are the most judgiest people you will ever meet and that's that's because the Christians that you meet that are like that aren't actually what they say they are. You got like the ones that say, oh, if you got tattoos or if you got piercings or you do this or you do that, then we don't want nothing to do with you. We don't want you in our church. No, what I was taught was that all of all religions, whatever you believe in, should welcome you in. Welcome arms. Let's let's help you. My son, my my daughter, whatever. Let's let's give you a hand. We'll get you on the right path. But there's the ones out there that are the most judgiest people you'll ever meet, and I'm sure you've met people like that. Too many, too many of them, man. Too many that say that they walk like Jesus, but then all of a sudden they'll go out and bash a gay person. You know what I mean? Or like all the churches that that wouldn't allow my friends that were gay to go into their church, and now all of a sudden they have rainbow flags outside every Catholic church. That pisses me off. Because Jesus would have never, ever done that. He would have been chilling with them. Because he chilled with all the criminals. He chilled with all the people that everyone hated, the tax collectors. He, All his apostles were basically, if he came back today, he'd be looked at like a biker gang. You know what I'm saying? He'd be looked at as like that. You know what I mean? Like he was a gang of 12 apostles. Like 
he would be a badass, you know, and people still wouldn't listen to his message, though. You know what I'm saying? Because we are ignorant as human beings sometimes and we're stuck in our ways. And I think we have to have this open mind. And, uh, you know, this first episode, I'm glad we had and I'm glad we were able to um, show some of this, you know, footage from doctors and then other people that are in the field and then even just some that have knowledge of what they have said. Um, but I just wanted to make that first one about it. And, uh, I was very happy that we could do that. And we went way over what we said we were going to do almost an hour over. So it's all good. I'm glad we, we had a good time. We had, we had a good time. That's all that matters. Well, I'm going to let you end the show, my friend. So please feel free to say your, whatever you want to say. All right. Well, appreciate everybody swinging by catching us here on the podcast very grateful of it especially being being the first one i've done officially myself with my buddy aj here i uh, can't thank you enough for just coming in and saying hello and listening to the stories with us we had some crazy topics there and looking forward to see what's in the next one 100 and don't forget to check out halfway paranormal podcast on facebook at parapost network central tuesday nights at 7 p.m Talk to you guys soon.